Would you please uh, stand with me again today as we declare the Apostles' Creed together at all of our campuses? We, let's say this together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Today, I want to welcome one of our favorite teaching pastors that comes to Celebration Church from time to time. He's also our international missions director and consults with us on many matters of church leadership as well, Joel Holm. And so, uh, Pastor Joel, we're glad you're here. Please come. Let's give a celebration welcome to all of our campuses. God bless you. Good morning. What a week, huh? Wow, you know, a few years ago when I knew at this stage of my life, Marie and I knew that our 18-year-old daughter would be picking out a university, so a handful of years ago, we began to invest in a college fund for her. And now I discovered that I'm going to be homeschooling my daughter for her college. <laughs> if you have followed this week, if it's affected you and it's affected all of us, you know it's been an incredible couple of weeks. And as much as this series was planned months and months in advance, really, there couldn't be a more timely day and a timely moment for us to gather together in light of all that's happening in our economy and in our world and saying, God, what do you say about this? Just in the last week, the stock market has fluctuated more than ever before. In the last handful of days, U.S. citizens have lost over $2 trillion in retirement money. The government is going into ways of working that they've never really considered before. And you can watch all the different news channels. You can see all the different opinions. And the one thing you discover is they all really don't quite know. And it creates a panic, it creates a nervousness, it creates kind of this unknown. For those of you who are vested in stock markets, it creates a desperation. For those of you who aren't doing that, you still look at your job and you wonder how much security you will have. And it's a really good and necessary time for Christians to step back and say, what does God say about this? Because even though we don't like to admit it, money has such a huge tug in our life. I drive from my house to the airport too often, and as I drive along the highway, there are billboards along the way. And I can vaguely remember that there's a billboard that for buying watches, uh, there's another billboard that is for radio stations, some radio station I should listen to. But there's this one billboard, and I can describe every square foot of this billboard. 
Because on this billboard, every time I drive by it, it has a different number that tells me that's how much money I'll get if I just pick the right four numbers. It's the lottery billboard. And one day, it's 18 million that's just waiting for me. One day, it's like 132 million that's just waiting for me. And, and I gotta be honest with you, when I drive by these billboards, I don't change the radio station. I, I can't even remember what kind of wristwatch I'm supposed to buy, but I will spend long periods of time on that plane wondering, wow, $18 million, what I could do with $18 million, divvying it out. Of course, I always say, you know, I'm gonna give a chunk to God, but what am I gonna do with that other $17,500,000, you know? <laughs> We've got to be honest about it. Money really tugs at us, and Jesus knew this. And in light of what we are going through as a society, it is very important as Christ followers that we step back because people in a time period when things are unknown sometimes make changes and random decisions. Jesus knew his disciples would go through this, so he actually talked about it a lot. He even told them one story. You can find it in Luke it's kind of the contemporary version that I'll give you. But he said, hey, there was this guy who lived in Green Bay, and he managed a business. He provided uh, home supplies to contractors who were building houses. The owner of the business lived in Florida. He was like a fat cat who lived in Florida. He had lots of businesses, and this was just one of them. And this manager worked completely on commission, so when he was able to sell plumbing supplies and lumber and stuff, he got a commission from the contractors he worked with. And one day, the owner flies up to Green Bay to check out how the business is going, and he discovers that his manager, he's not really stealing, but he's not doing a good job with his business. He's wasting his business away. He's undercutting prices so he can get a quick commission, stuff like that. So the fat cat from Florida tells the manager in Green Bay, you know what, turn in your books, settle your accounts, you're done. You're not handling my business well. Now the manager in Green Bay gets very serious because he realizes his very livelihood is now at risk. And he gets this idea. And he calls in some of the clients he has that owe him commissions from sales that they haven't paid off on. And he just cancels all of those commissions. He kind of earns favor with them, figuring if I earn favor now, then later on I can kind of call in some of those markers. Maybe I'll get a few more jobs. He knew that he was too lazy to just get a regular job working hourly wage. He didn't want to do that. So he's kind of thinking in advance. And the owner from Florida is watching him do this. And he's actually pretty impressed. And the owner from Florida calls him aside one day. And he says, man, you, you're shrewd. You acted really shrewdly. It's too bad you didn't do that when you were managing my business. You still may be working for me, but you acted shrewdly. And Jesus taught this very story to his disciples. And he ended it with this verse in Luke 16. He said, the master, in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. And what Jesus is teaching is saying, listen, there's two ways to live life. There are, in a sense, two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world that people live in. And there are guiding principles for the kingdom of this world. And he says, disciples, this guy worked the system really well. But then there's another kingdom, a kingdom of light. And it has guiding principles. And he's saying the people who are in this kingdom actually work the system and the guiding principles a lot smarter than the people who are in this kingdom.
And he's telling his disciples, you're going to have to make a choice as you go through life. Which kingdom and which principles will you live out? Because we live in this world. We go to work. We interact in this world. But we're not of this world. We're of this kingdom of light. And there's these contrasting principles. And then you go through a week like we just went through, and we discover how important it is the choice we make individually about which kingdom we're going to live in and which principles we're going to follow. So for this morning, I just want to give you a reminder as part of this series, which I think is so timely for us, to step back from the flurry of activity and say, God, what are your guiding principles? And I'm going to use the word money and the acronym for that to give us five guiding principles. They may be reminders for you, but use them as a self-inventory as well. Am I functioning in the kingdom of light or am I functioning in the kingdom of this world? And does God graciously want to nudge me this morning? Here's the first one. M, manage God's money. Jesus tells this parable to teach them that they were not owners, but they were managers of God's resources. What's the difference between being an owner and between being a manager? You see, kingdom of world, own. Kingdom of light, manage. But what's the critical difference between those? When I own and I've got to give something up, what I think about is how much it's going to cost me. When I manage and I have to give something up, I think some more differently. I was in China one time talking to a pastor who had been in prison for five years for preaching the gospel. And I was overwhelmed at his story. And I remember asking him, how did you do it? How did you sacrifice so much time away from your family, time in prison? How did you make that kind of sacrifice? And he looked at me kind of quizzically. He said, Joel, I don't understand. He said, my time's not my time, it's God's time. My money's not my money, it's, it's God's money. Even my children, they're not my children, they're God's children. So what can I sacrifice that doesn't belong to me? He said, I don't see it as sacrificing anything. He said, I see it as trusting God, that he is designing and orchestrating my life. When you own, all you think about is what you have to sacrifice. When you manage, what you consider is a faith in God and his ways, and do you trust that he's got a design that's stronger, and God's got some guiding principles to his design. You're very familiar with these principles. One principle is what I call the 10 principle. He says, listen, with my resources, I want you to give 10% back to the church. When my kids were little, I, I took them to the park one day. And I remember they were like three and four years old. And they were dying for ice cream. And they were asking me and nagging me for ice cream. So I said, okay, I'll buy you some ice cream. And I bought them each these big cones of ice cream, you know, three or four scoops stepping on. And my kids are licking them and they're so happy. And it actually looked pretty good. So I went to Lisa and I said, Lisa, could I have a lick? And she went like this. <laughs> you ever had your little child, you give them something, they go like this? I bought the ice cream, I paid for the ice cream, all I wanted to lick. Listen, all God wants is a flippin' lick. <laughs> but too often, this is what we do. Principle number one, the 10 rule. But here's the catch. Some of us think as long as I obey the 10 rule, man, I'm functioning. There's a second rule. It's called the 90 rule. You don't give 10% and own 90%. He's got designs for how you spend that other 90% as well. I remember one time a man called into the church and he wanted some help from the church. 
He said they were in a difficult time. He didn't have food for his family. They weren't able to pay their electric bill. And he said, could the church help us? We tithe. And so, you know, we had a benevolent account and one of the staff members checked it out. They went to his house to see how things were going. And sure enough, they didn't have money for their electric bill, but he had just bought a $20,000 stereo. And his idea was if I follow the 10 rule, the rest is... There's also this 90 rule. It, it gets worse. There's a 10 rule, there's a 90 rule, and then there's what I call the plus rule. You see, in the kingdom of the world, there's this pie, and you divide it up, and it all equals 100. In God's kingdom, he says, no, listen, I want you to excel in your giving. I want you to continue to grow in faith. I want you to see yourself as a manager. Second Corinthians, Paul wrote this, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Wherever you're at, don't stay there. If you're loving here, love here. If you're in grace here, be in grace here. If you're forgiving here, forgive here. If you're giving here, give here. I want you to grow in this idea of being a manager. So the question is, manage his money. Are you an owner or are you a manager? I happen to have a test that will readily prove which side you're on. Everybody stand to your feet. Here's what you do. Stand to your feet. We're going to pretend like we're going to take an offering. But instead of having to give money out of your wallet, I want you to reach in front of the back pocket of the person standing in front of you, take out the wallet, and give as much as you want. Now, sit down. In your mind, how much more freeing is it to give money out of the wallet of the person standing in front of you? I can become the most generous person in the world when it's the guy in front of me. Are you an owner or are you a manager? continuing to grow in faith because in this day and age you've got to choose which kingdom you're going to function in oh offer the best what do i mean by offer the best you know when we talk about money and our resources oftentimes we talk about spending money but we don't actually spend money we trade money we give money at a store and they give us something back you give money for a resource, you get that back. Trades, goods, and services, whatever it may be. If you're smart, you make a good trade. If you're not so smart, you make a bad trade. But money is just a way of making trades. That's how the world looks at it. But in the kingdom of light, Bible teaches this. Every time you release what God's given you, it's an offering to him. You're buying groceries for your kids to eat, that's an offering to him. You're giving it in the bucket as it passes, that's an offering to him. And there is good, best, in terms of offering him the best. You see, in the kingdom of the world, all we think about is trading. But in the kingdom of God, we've got to see it as an offering to him. You say, well, what do you mean by best money? Isn't it all the same? No, there's actually different quality. The Bible teaches, Exodus 23, the best is what's first. Bring the best of the first fruits to the house of the Lord your God. The best is what's earned that has some cost to you. David said this in 2 Samuel 24. He said, I'm not going to sacrifice anything to the Lord, my offerings, that have cost me nothing. When you wait to give when it's no big deal, that's kingdom of world. There's givers in here, but they wait till it's no big deal. In the kingdom of God, we're offering all the time. That's what's best. It's actually best when it represents me to God. Does God really want my money, my resources? Does he really need them? 
No, he wants me. And the best is when what I'm given in the natural is just a window into the spiritual. I'm a manager, not an owner. And everything I do as a manager is an offering to him, an offering of worship to him. One of my most incredible moments in my life was when I was in the country of Myanmar with Peter, who's a ministry that we support as a church. Actually, he'll be here in early November. The children's ministry works very closely with that orphanage. And I remember sitting down, kind of giving a devotional to about 150 orphan kids in Myanmar. And I had just come out of Russia. This is in the early 90s when communism had fell. It was in the wintertime in Russia. There were 30,000 street kids living on the streets of Moscow at that time. No parents, no food, no shelter. And I remember how it gripped my heart and I went from Russia to Myanmar and I'm sitting down with these kids who are in one of the poorest countries in the world and they have, you know, the resources they need. They have people who love them, but they're orphans in one of the poorest countries. And I begin to talk to them about these kids in Moscow living on the streets. And I went on with my day there with Peter and later that evening Peter came to me and he had tears in his eyes. And I said, what's wrong? He said, you wouldn't believe what happened. And I said, what? He said some of the older kids in the orphanage got together and then they talked to the younger kids and they were so touched by these kids and their situation in Moscow that they want to forego some of their food. They want to give up a couple of meals every week so that we can take that money that's saved and give it so the kids in Moscow could eat. And it literally took my breath away. Orphans in Myanmar, one of the poorest countries, wanting to give up their food so they could help feed street kids in Russia. And I could have written a check at that moment easily that would have quadrupled whatever they could have given because they didn't eat rice. But they were the ones who were offering the best because it was a window into their heart. It was an insight into what was true. You manage his resources, whatever it is, from your kids to your time to your money to whatever he gives you, and then you offer it as a worshipful offering to him that says, I'm going to live in the kingdom of light, and out of a gratefulness and out of a faith and out of a worship, I'm going to give it to him. And number your days. You know, in this story, this manager has a unique perspective about the future. He's going through life until he loses his job, and then all of a sudden, he begins to think more and more about the future and his implications for the future. The Bible teaches this in Psalm 90. It says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the kingdom of this world, people are numbering their days, but the numbers only go to about 70 or 100 years. There are some people who think about their grandchildren, so they prepare for them. But that's about as far as it goes. In the kingdom of light, when we're called to number our days, it's in light of eternity. So here's a tough question. Does your checkbook reflect numbering your days in the kingdom of the light or in the kingdom of the world? Because in both kingdoms, you will number your days, but how you number your days will affect how you live out your calling as a Christ follower. Just two weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who had come into about $50,000, and all this stuff was happening, and he was talking to me, and he was voicing this incredible frustration. And I said, why are you so frustrated? He says, well, I've got this $50,000. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I don't want to put it in the stock market because things are plunging. 
I could put it in a CD, but I get like 2 3%. It doesn't even cover inflation. He said, I have no idea how to invest this money. I don't want to put it in real estate because prices have deflated so much. I don't know how to invest this money. The greatest tragedy was nowhere on his radar screen was investing in the kingdom. It wasn't there. He was trying to think about how to be a good steward, but he was doing it in the kingdom of this world, not in the kingdom of light. And my guess is some of us have fallen into that trap. That we're numbering our days only in the kingdom of the world, not in the kingdom of light. Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon in Revelation 22. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to to what he has done. Jesus actually taught the application of this in Luke 16. In verse 9, here's what he said. He said, I tell you, use the wealth of the world to gain friends for yourselves. Now, he's not saying go out and buy friends, but he's saying use the resources God has given you as your tool to change lives for eternity so that when it is gone, when all this world is gone, when your wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He's saying, listen, this guy worked shrewdly here because he was taking care of himself. You need to work just as shrewdly in the kingdom of light, using those principles for an eternal purpose. How are you numbering your days? In the world, the number goes 70 years, sometimes one year. But in the kingdom of light... It goes eternally. And how does your checkbook reflect which kingdom you may or may not be living in? E, excel in giving. This manager probably did more than he had done before in terms of trying to really take care of these relationships to provide for himself. And God has this way of saying, listen, I don't want you to ever get stuck in a place where you're being obedient but you're not growing. I want you to excel. Did you hear the story about a man who came to a church? It was a midweek service. It was a small church, 75 people in the service. And they took the offering, and he opened up his wallet, and he only had a handful of dollars, and that was all he had, and he didn't have a job, and he was faced with this choice. Do I give the money and trust God, or do I hang on to it and take control of my life? And the offering bucket went by, and he gave the money. Two years later, he was back in the same church, another Wednesday night service, same kind of crowd. And they were going to take the offering, and the pastor said, listen, does anybody have a testimony? And this man's hand shot up in the air. He said, I've got a testimony. And the pastor said, yes. He said, I was here two years ago, and I was faced with a real choice of faith. He said, do I give up what God's given me, or do I hold on to it? What do I do? And he said, at that moment two years ago, I chose to give up those few dollars. He said, I am here now two years later. I own three businesses. In two years, I've become a multimillionaire. God has blessed me so much. And all 75 people broke out in applause. And I'm sure the pastor is thinking, what a perfect setup for an offering, you know? This is what could you ask for? <laughs> They begin to take the offering, and the man sits down, and as he sits down, an elderly lady sitting behind him leans up and whispers into his ear, I dare you to do it all over again. <laughs> Have you heard God whisper in your ear, I dare you to do it all over again? Because that's a principle in the kingdom of light, where I don't own it, and it's all an offering of worship to him, and I've got to handle my resources in light of today through eternity. 
And every day and every week and every month, I've got to grow a little bit more and a little bit more. Now listen to me carefully. There is absolutely no condemnation in this church, in this place, for anybody wherever you're at. God's grace is there. His love is there. You live in a world that is in an economic turmoil, and you've got to choose which kingdom you're going to live in. And wherever you're at, if you choose here, all the Lord is saying is just keep growing step by step. Just keep trusting a little bit more and a little bit more. Why would this be so important to God? Why would he want us to live that way? You see, in the kingdom of the world, your resources are like a pie. And there's only a certain amount of pie that's there. So even if you're obedient, you say, okay, 10% of the pie goes to the church and 10% goes here. You manage it all. You manage the pie well. But in the kingdom of light, it's not a pie. It's a cup that continues to overflow and overflow and overflow and overflow. If you function like a pie, you're functioning in the kingdom of this world. But if you function like a cup, then you will discover this abundant blessing God. So he says, I don't ever want you to get settled in where you're at. But I want you to continue to grow in your faith so that you can discover my abundance. When was the last time you heard God whisper into your ear? I dare you to do it all over again. Because most of us have a story in our past of a moment when we stepped out. And it's not just about giving money. It's about where you choose to live in your faith. We have that story of how we stepped out and God did something glorious for us. But how old is that story? How many years ago did that story take place? So he says, in the kingdom of light, manage, don't own. In the kingdom of light, you offer it every moment as a worship. You number in light of eternity. And you excel in your growth so you can discover this incredible mindset of abundance that God has. And then lastly, why? It stands for yield your heart. God says, listen, I want you to yield your heart. Do you ever feel like you have no control over what's happening around you? I do. Really, I mean, somebody out there is making all these changes in the stock market, and I can understand it rationally, but I have no influence in that. So whatever I invested into a college fund now is like worth a third of what it was worth before, and I had no control over that. I go to the gas pump, and it's 20 cents more, and it's 20 cents less, and I'm thinking, who are these gas gurus making this decision? Where's their email so I could write them a little note on my behalf? The government's going to be invested in stuff now in certain ways. And I sometimes feel like I am completely out of control. In the kingdom of this world, it makes me retreat and want to control very carefully. In the kingdom of light, I just accept it. I'm not in control. You see, I believe the timing, not only of this weekend, of this series, is divinely mandated. Because it's not about money. It's about having a confidence as you live every day and every week. And when the world around you is in such a shaky condition, our loving Father gives us the ability to wake up every morning with this unbelievable confidence, not just in heaven, but in tomorrow. Because I'm living in the kingdom of light principles. And that last one is I got to yield my heart. I can't control. It's interesting because you can talk to people in the kingdom of this world about God and they'll listen about God. They're even willing to hear you say, you know, if you don't accept Christ, you'll go to a eternity in hell. You can do all that stuff. You tell them how to spend $20 and they'll kill you. 
It's that one issue that we hold on to so much. And God says, listen, I want you to yield. You ever wonder why God doesn't let us call our own shots with his money? You ever wonder why he makes us give it to the church rather than wherever we want to? That's his guideline, his rule. I had a friend of mine call me a few years back. He said, Joel, I need to meet with you. I said, sure. He came to the meeting with his wife, and they had printed out all these documents of a house they were going to buy. He said, I need your advice on whether or not we should buy this house. And I told my friend, I said, listen, I know nothing about construction. I mean, you put a hammer in my hand, and it'll get just really ugly. I don't know anything. I can't help you. He said, I'm not looking for help as to the quality of the home. I said, I don't know anything about real estate. I don't know about the market. I don't know if it's a good purchase or a bad purchase. He said, I'm not looking for that information either. I said, well, how can I help you? He said, can you tell me, do you think this is a good use of God's resources? What was he doing? He was yielding his heart. He was drawing in godly counsel. He wasn't over here in the kingdom of this earth saying, I'm going to make a decision. But he was in the kingdom of light saying, I'm part of something much bigger that God is doing. And every day he could walk in a confidence. It was a wise decision. It was a godly decision. Every day he could walk in a confidence of what God was doing. So if this week in any way made you a little nervous, if this week in whatever way it affected you made you just a little precautious, a little urgent, a little panicky, take it as an opportunity to say which kingdom Will I choose to live in? Will I own or will I manage? Will I trade for goods or will I offer as a worship? Will I number my days in terms of five years or ten years or maybe even retirement? Or will I have an eternal perspective? Will I excel or will I freeze? Will I control or will I yield? A few years ago, my wife and I were praying, and we just, we had two cars, and we got the sense that God impressed upon us that we should give our van away. And, you know, we prayed it through and said, okay, we can do that. We didn't know who, we didn't know how, we didn't know why. And two days after we kind of had made the commitment that we would follow through on this, we got a phone call from friends who had been in missionaries in China for many years. And they called us up, and they said they were coming back to the States, and could we help arrange them to purchase a vehicle? They only had about, I don't know, $1,500, and you know what kind of a vehicle you can get for $1,500. You know, and... and we knew right away that, that that was the couple that we were supposed to give it to. So they came and, and we gave them the, the vehicle and signed the title over to them, you know. And then four days later, I got a phone call from a lady I hadn't heard from for, gosh, probably two years. And the phone call was, hey, Joel, this is Mary. Hi, Mary. I haven't heard from you for a while. Joel, do you need a car? Well, actually, Mary, I do. Now, you know when people give you cars, if you've ever been given a car, I mean, you're grateful, but usually the car that you get, you know, you know, you know what people give cars, the kind of cars they give. Anyways. So this is what we were expecting. So we went to go, and it was a brand new car. She had bought it for her mom, who hadn't learned to drive, so she had it. She gave us this brand new car. Now, here's the amazing thing about the story. One, just how God reminded us, Marie and I, how he provides for us. Two, I took my kids with me to go get the car. And the impact it had on them, seeing their mom and dad give up a car, and four days later, seeing God do something. But without a doubt, the greatest moment of this story didn't come four days later. It came at that very moment when Marie and I met with the missionary couple and we signed the title over. And I remember so clearly driving home. And my wife and I were so excited. 
We were so full of faith. We were so happy. Why? Because we had just simply lived in the kingdom of light. And that was enough. There was a confidence that God was all over us and he was taking control of us. Jesus gives this parable not just for the disciples, but for us. He says, which kingdom are you going to live in? You got to choose which way you're going to function, which guiding principles. Because people here are really smart with how they function. You need to be just as smart here. And when you do, you can walk every day with this incredible confidence of God's care for you. You can walk in this kingdom because you know how much he loves you and because you know how much he provides for you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You just take one minute as we close. And you do a kind of self-inventory. There is no condemnation this morning. There is the grace and love of a father who gave his son Jesus to die for you so that we could have eternal life beginning today and we could live each day in his kingdom. But sometimes we need to be nudged graciously and reminded. And if that's you today, I just want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that you are intimately involved in every detail of our life. And that nothing that has happened these last few weeks, in not only in our country but around the world, nothing surprises you. That you hold our very lives in your hand. And I pray, Lord, that for each person who is here, who by your spirit graciously needs a nudge this morning. A nudge that is surrounded by your love and your grace to trust you. A nudge that's not just defined by money, but it's really defined by a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Even for what we don't recognize, thank you, Lord, for all you have given us. Teach us to manage it well. Cause us every moment to see it as an offering to you. Lord, give us the capacity to see eternity from today and to live as if we are living in eternity. As the disciples pray, we pray, increase our faith that we would excel and discover an abundant God. And would you yield our hearts that we would trust you and your way, and that we would live and lead in the kingdom of light. I thank you for this church. May it continue to be a church that lives in the kingdom of light. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.